It's good to be back with you. So grateful that we were able to get down to the beach with our family for a week and unwind. And I just have to say, it is one of the thrills of my life to see that this church doesn't not only not fall apart when I'm gone, but it doesn't miss a beat when I'm gone. Kevin did a phenomenal job. Yes. You know, for a guy who practically runs Prisma Health, uh, to, to find time to dig and study and do what he did the last two Sundays is not a small thing. And uh, we are so blessed here to have such a deep bench of people who can eloquently minister the Word of God. We have a disproportionately deep bench, I would say, for a church our size. And I'm very grateful for that. So thank you again, Kevin, for your sacrifice of time and your investment in the Word of God and the lives of our church family. So there's not much going on in the world, right? (laughs) Things are pretty quiet. There are not too many days that go by in my life that I don't hear from someone or meet with someone who is at a point of despair, confusion, worry, anger. So what do you do when the future looks so daunting, when fear paralyzes you, when things look so overwhelming that you don't even know how to take the next step? I would remind you this morning that followers of Christ are not immune from seasons of life like that. In fact, the Bible is filled with examples of people who faced heartbreaking, overwhelming, fearful circumstances who knew they were unable to bear it and endure it in their own strength. What does God's word say to us about times like that in our life? Never mind what I have to say to anybody about times like that. What does God's word say? When we as individuals, when we as families, when we as a church, when we as a nation feel paralyzed and overwhelmed by what is going on. Well, this morning I want to look into God's word together and consider the subject of following God in days of uncertainty. Today we come to the book of Joshua. We have been going through the entire Bible. We have so far studied Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And when we finished the last chapter of Deuteronomy a few weeks ago, we saw that the Israelites had reached the border of the Promised Land. They were getting ready to cross over the Jordan River and go in and take possession of the land. But we saw also in that last chapter of Deuteronomy that Moses, their leader, had just died. Moses, this one who had led them through the Red Sea, this one who had gone up on Mount Sinai and received the Ten Commandments from God in person, Moses, the one who had personally taught them the law of God, Moses, the one who had brought water from the rock at God's command 
for people who were almost dying of thirst. Moses, this larger-than-life leader of whom the closing verses in the last chapter of Deuteronomy say, no prophet has arisen in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. No prophet has done all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent Moses to do. No prophet has performed all the mighty acts of power and awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Yes, that Moses was now dead. And that same last chapter of Deuteronomy we saw a few weeks ago told us that the Israelites mourned and grieved for him for 30 days. And now we turn the page to Joshua chapter 1. And as this chapter opens, we find all those people stuck there in that same spot, overwhelmed, sad, bewildered, afraid, and paralyzed about what to do next. They haven't taken a single step forward since Moses died. They had, in the most literal sense, stopped following where God had clearly commanded them to go. The death of Moses had caused them to plop down right where they were, to curl up in a ball, as it were, and to completely lose sight of their mission. Maybe some of you are in a similar place right now. A loved one has died. You've received a report from the doctor you never wanted to hear. Your job has been taken from you, and you face incalculable financial burdens. Someone you trusted turned their back on you. A child has gone away from God. And ever since then, you've been paralyzed with fear. You've been gutted by sadness. You've been drowning in anger. You're not even sure what the next step is, and maybe you're even at the point where you're wondering where God is at all. I want you to know that God's Word provides comfort and hope and direction in times just like that. So if you feel stuck today, for any reason, if you feel heartbroken, if you feel directionless, I pray that God's word will break through to you today, that it will restore hope to you, that it would illumine the pathway ahead of you so that you will know and be able to see clearly how to move forward and how to follow God in days of uncertainty. So open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1, and I want to read the first nine verses This section of Scripture contains a couple of the most well-known verses in the Bible. Perhaps you memorized some of these as a kid. But let's read these first nine verses together. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all these people, into the land that I am giving to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. 
As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have success or that you may prosper wherever you go. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have not I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In Scripture, whenever God states something that is already obvious, we should sit up and pay close attention because there's something that he wants to teach us through what he's saying. There's a lesson to be learned, and in verse 2 that we just read, God said something to Joshua that seems pretty strange. We begin reading Joshua, and it says, After the death of Moses, the Lord said to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. I'm not being irreverent, but I just want to tell you, Joshua already knew that. For years, Joshua had been Moses' assistant. He was Moses' right-hand man. He was with him all the time. Joshua was identified as the servant or the assistant or the minister of Moses numerous times. Exodus 24, 13, so Moses set out with his assistant Joshua. Exodus 33, 11, Moses' servant Joshua. Numbers eleven twenty eight. Joshua, the assistant of Moses from his youth. In addition to that, Numbers 27, verses 18 to 23, tell us that Joshua had already been chosen and commissioned to be the successor of Moses. And let me tell you, anybody who had to follow Moses would have surely been intimidated by that job. Joshua knew full well that Moses had died. All the responsibility and burdens of leading all these people were now going to fall squarely upon his shoulders. So believe me, if anybody knew that Moses was dead, Joshua knew. So why then did God tell Joshua that Moses was dead? Let's read on. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. You want good old southern English? Get up. Get up. Go over this Jordan, you and all these people, into the land that I'm giving to the people of Israel. Now, we've already seen in past studies that Joshua was a valiant soldier and a fearless spy. But the sudden reality of all the, this responsibility of probably two to three million people and all of their burdens and issues that were going to fall upon him must have caused even Joshua, even this strong man, must have caused him to sit down and wrestle with his own personal inner weaknesses and fears and doubts. He had seen 
firsthand how the burden of leadership these past 40 years had weighed upon Moses. He had seen how fickle and unbelieving these Israelites were and how quick they were to turn away from God and rebel and sin and bring judgment upon the camp. And up until now, Moses was the one who had to deal with all that. But now Moses was dead. And Joshua has been thrust into a new and unknown chapter of his life. And for any of us who find ourselves in a place where suddenly life has completely changed, nothing is familiar anymore. We're faced with new pressures and concerns and fears. We find it hard to even take the next step. In those times, what we really need is for someone we love and trust to come alongside us to help put clarity and hope and the truth of God's promises back into our heart. But sometimes, sometimes we also need that person to give us a smack upside the head. We need that person to sternly but lovingly give us a reminder of reality and tell us to get up and start moving again. I was at a place just a couple of years ago, you all know, where I became stuck in life, never imagined myself there. It was the most unimaginably dark place, and I could not move. And I thank God for friends and for family who lovingly came alongside me and pointed me back again to the hope and the truth of God's word. I was still up here preaching every week. I was desiring to follow Christ. I was in his word, but I was just lost. And there were some people, a couple of them, who at a certain point in this basically told me they were going to tan my hide if I didn't go and get help. I was too big for that, you know. I'm too smart. I'm too proud for that. But I wasn't at all. I needed someone to look me in the eye and say, I'm going to beat the tar out of you if you don't go and get help. Sometimes we need that in life when we're stuck and we're confused and we're directionless. And that's exactly what God does for Joshua in this chapter. God starts by saying, okay, Moses is dead. We all know that. But now it's time to stop sitting around. It's time to get up and get ready because the mission I've called you to is still active and my promises are still in effect. Our troubles and our circumstances do not give us permission to delay the calling of God on our life. Yes, there are times when we feel overwhelmed or discouraged or broken. There will be times when we feel weak or hopeless or immobilized by fear. But nowhere in Scripture does it say that God is finished with us when we're in those seasons of life. Sometimes we all just need to be reminded of God's truth just as God reminded Joshua here. And the reasons these words had real power to give Joshua and to give us hope and courage and certainty in uncertain days is because of who these words are anchored upon. This was not a pep talk Joshua received. This was not, I believe in you, Joshua. 
You can do it. It was far from that. The reason these words had merit and power and significance and meaning and hope is because of who these words were anchored in. In these verses, God repeatedly reminds Joshua that he, God, is the one who is in control of every circumstance that lies ahead, so there's no reason to be afraid. And the first thing Joshua was reminded of that he needed to do was to renew faith in the promise of God. There's number one, faith in the promise of God. God came to Joshua and shared with him something vitally important, and that is that God had already promised to give the land to them, and Joshua needed to remain faithful to carry out that promise of God. Many times throughout the previous books that we've studied, we've already seen how God said to Moses and the people again and again, this is the land that I am giving you. This is the land that I promised to your forefathers to give to you. And here Joshua is reminded again that all the good things that were about to belong to them were only going to happen because of the promises of God. Not because of the efforts of the people or Joshua. Not because of their cleverness. They were going to receive these things because of the promises of God. The Second part of verse 2 here in Joshua 1. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all these people, into the land that I am giving to the people of Israel. Verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Second part of verse 6. You will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers to give them. Second part of verse 11, go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And on and on it goes. So God was the one taking the people into the land. God was the one who had promised to give them the land. But watch this, Joshua and the people had to get up and go take it. That's where the test of faith and obedience is won or lost. God had promised to give them the land, but that promise would only be realized when they stepped out in obedience. Verse 3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. Joshua could have stayed where he was for the next 10 years, constantly telling everyone how God had given them the victory over their enemies and how God had given them the land but it would have been nothing more than empty talk. We can talk faith all day long, but faith without works is dead, James 2.26 tells us. You see, how we live reveals how we believe. Our actions give visible evidence to our faith. Joshua could have said, I believe God But if he never stepped out and put his life on the line to take hold of God's promises, what he would actually have been proving and revealing is that he didn't believe God at all. Talk is cheap. God is looking for action to back up what we say we believe. And I wonder, I just wonder, are there victories of God's kingdom that we've never stepped out and won as individuals and as a church? I wonder, are there lost souls 
who are ready to receive Christ, who we've never reached out to. May we never let fear keep us stuck where we are, only talking about the promises of God, talking about faith without ever actually getting up and stepping out to see those promises come to life. There's this, I suppose, somewhat mysterious balance between faith and works. Our works don't get us salvation. Our works are evidence of salvation. Our works are proof that we have a new spirit in us, producing new things in our life. If there's none of that going on, surely we ought to look privately in the mirror and ask if we've ever truly been born again. So Joshua not only needed to have faith in the promise of God, but secondly, he needed to have assurance in the presence of God. Did you know it is possible to be surrounded by people and yet be all alone? By the words God spoke to Joshua here, it seems like he was struggling with feeling alone in the face of this massive undertaking. Verse 5 No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. And then God saw the need to add this. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua wasn't the only one who needed to know that he wouldn't be alone. If we remember back, I don't know how long ago, to our study in Exodus chapter 3, when God first called Moses to step out and go and face Pharaoh and say, let my people go and lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Moses was terrified of doing this. Exodus 3.11, but Moses asked God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And what did God say in response? Oh, Moses, I believe in you. You can do it, Moses. Not at all. If that's where we're looking for our strength and our power and our direction, it'll last about five minutes and we'll need another dose. No, look at how God answered. It doesn't even seem like an answer to the problem. Moses says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And what does God say in response in verse 12? I will be with you. David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. We need to know that the assurance of God's presence is not just something that God promised to Joshua long ago. He promised it to all of us as well. We see this throughout the New Testament. Here's one that's so easy to miss. Matthew 1, 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Matthew 28, 20, as Jesus is giving what's so-called the, the Great Commission in verses 19, uh, 18 to 20, at the end of the chapter, before he goes back to heaven, He says to them, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And this blows my mind to think about this in light of who I am, in light of who we are. But this desire to be with 
us has been God's desire since the very beginning. From all the way back in Genesis, when God went through the garden looking and calling for Adam, where are you? I want fellowship with you. Right up until the very end of the Bible, we see that God longs to be with his people. Revelation 21.3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. We don't deserve any of that. But God longs to not only be with us, but for us to know that he is with us. It's that truth that brings us assurance in moments of confusion and uncertainty and fear. It's not our own strength. It's not our own plans. Where are you this morning in a situation that you're so overwhelmed by and you've completely forgotten that God is with you? He's with you. He's with you. Joshua found assurance in the presence of God. And I pray that we will do the same. Thirdly, Joshua found strength in the power of God. Most times when we step out to serve the Lord in some way, we We pause and we look inside to try and find the resources that we need to carry out what God is calling us to do. And we suddenly realize we are totally inadequate to do what we're being asked to do. It's easy to feel overwhelmed and afraid in those moments. It's easy to conclude that we're unqualified to do what God's calling us to do, and we would be 100% right to reach that conclusion. In fact, the sooner we realize that we are utterly incapable of bringing about any spiritual results for God, the better we'll be. God wasn't telling Joshua to find strength in himself. He was reminding Joshua that his strength came only because God was with him. Verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. That sounds like it's praising Joshua. How is it possible that no one will be able to stand against Joshua all the days of his life? It was possible because of the next phrase. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And Joshua, that's why no one will be able to stand against you. Verse 9, have not I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Wow, it sounds like it's, it's really making Joshua look like a big tough guy. But it's the opposite. Because the very next phrase says, For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So the reason that Joshua could be courageous and not be afraid, not be dismayed, was one reason only. It's because the Lord had promised to be with him wherever he went. You see, the strength and the courage and the power we need to carry out What God calls us to do in the face of uncertainty doesn't come from us. It comes from God. Paul emphasizes this again and again and again. Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope of his calling, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and the surpassing greatness of his power to us who believe. Ephesians 3, 16. Boy, Paul was on a roll. If you haven't read Ephesians, you need to soak that up. Ephesians 3.16, I ask that out of the riches of his glory, he may strengthen you with power. How? Through his spirit in your inner being, 
Ephesians 6.10, finally, my brethren, be strong. How? In the Lord and in the power of his might. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things. How? Through Christ who strengthens me. Listen, we've already seen back in Exodus the battle that Joshua was involved in and how he crushed the enemy. We saw how he bravely went over into the promised land 40 years earlier with the spies. And he was one of the two who came back and gave a positive report full of faith. Joshua was a tough, rugged, battle-tested, fierce warrior. But even he wasn't strong enough to carry out what God had called him to do. And neither are we. So can I just ask you, right now in your life, where are you trying to find strength? and hope, and courage, and power. If you're not abiding in Him and drawing from His power, you will stay stuck right where you are. And that brings us to our fourth and final point. Not only faith in the promise of God, not only assurance in the presence of God, not only strength in the power of God, but finally, direction in the Word of God. And this is where it becomes very practical. And if we miss this point, all that we've heard today will be for nothing. Direction in the Word of God. God promised that He would be with Joshua. But listen, that promise hinged upon one condition, and that was for Joshua to be committed to following and living out the commands of God. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have success wherever you go. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate upon it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written therein, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. The Bible is filled with these conditional promises, probably more so in Proverbs than anywhere else. But we see it throughout the Bible. In programming, we used to, well, they still do, but they have if-then clauses. If this condition is met, then carry out this action. It's very similar for us in our relationship with God. We think we can lay back and eat butter pecan ice cream 24 hours a day and God's going to come and do all these great things to us. Not going to happen. By the way, that's pretty good ice cream. I haven't had that in years, right? Need to. It's not going to happen. You want to see God move on our behalf? There's always an if. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Joshua and the people had been given the law of God, but that law was never meant to simply be crocheted and put in a little frame and hung on the wall as a decoration. God made it very clear to Joshua and to us. If you want to know which way to go in life, if you want to get out of the cloudiness and the, the confusion and fear that you're in, if you want to live a successful eyes, a life in the eyes of God, then you're going to have to put my word inside of you. You're going to have to meditate upon it day and night. 
You're going to have to do what my word says, and you're going to have to do so without deviating from it to the right or to the left. Well, that's quite a list. But this is what God demands. We can't have been saved for 20 or 30 or 40 years and never memorize the verse of Scripture. How in the world do we hope to stand in a world filled with chaos and sin and evil if God's word is not in us? It's not possible. How is it that the divorce rate is almost the same in Christian churches as it is in the world? It's not because the person chose the wrong partner. Rubbish. It's because the people who say they are followers of Christ never spend time in his word. Every time Sandy has looked at me, and I know what she's thinking, but she's too kind to say it. Boy, you need to go spend time in God's word because you ain't looking too pretty right now. Yeah. It's not me and my effort and my cleverness and my research that makes me a a good husband or a good father or a good pastor or, or useful in the kingdom of God. It's one thing. It's my submission to the word of God and my obedience to it. God doesn't command us to know his word, to meditate upon it, to do it without deviation so that he can make our life miserable. He doesn't command us to do that so that he can restrict us from joy in life. It's the exact opposite. He does it specifically so that we'll have direction in a lost world, so that we'll know what real life truly is, so that we'll enjoy the blessings of God and have his abiding presence with us. You read the Psalms. It's so easy to miss, but so many of them express this this uncontainable joy that the psalmist finds in the Word of God. When's the last time you picked up this book on your own time? I don't mean in here when I ask you to turn somewhere. When's the last time you picked up this book and put everything else aside and you opened it eagerly with joy? Or is it always, oh my gosh, I don't know, I guess I better do my devotions today. I'll give you one example as we wind this down. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And what will the result be? He's going to have less time in his week because he spent time in God's word. He's going to have all these heavy religious burdens on him. No, here's the result. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water. That doesn't mean much to us today, but to them in the area of the world, the dry, arid place they lived, this was like one of the best pictures ever. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and whatever he does will prosper. doesn't mean your life's going to go flawlessly. That's not what that phrase means. But do you hear the joy? The psalmist says, wow, I get to dive into God's law and read his word and study it and meditate upon it and live it out. This is a joy for me. It's a delight. God says to Joshua, hey, big boy, you're a mighty warrior. I don't know what Joshua looked like, but I have pictures, and they're probably all wrong. But just from his history, I mean, this is not a guy you would want to mess with. He was a fierce warrior. 
We're going to see that in the weeks to come. God said to him, hey, buddy, you're a strong guy, tough guy. But unless you soak yourself in my word, your life will amount to nothing. You want God's presence and power to be with you? It won't happen unless his word is living in you, unless you are living it out. Joshua was thrust into this overwhelming situation that was filled with problems and uncertainty. And this is how God came to him to pick him up, to refocus his direction. And it's the same thing God says to us. Whatever personal situation you may be facing today, I can tell you this. Regardless of the personal situations, I want you to hear me. We are facing unprecedented evil in our nation and the world like I have never seen in my lifetime. If any true believer with the Spirit of God in him or her can watch what is taking place in our country without seeing a move of Satan taking place, then I don't know what to tell you. This is pure, pure evil. You want to see darkness? You want to see a glimpse of emptiness and the control of Satan? Look into the eyes of some of these leaders in our country. You'll see it. These people who are more than happy to let their cities burn down, more than happy to let violent criminals out of jail, and we've become inverted. The whole world has become inverted. Light is darkness. Darkness is light. We're losing our minds. And I'm telling you, church, whatever personal situations you may be facing that are troubling and burdensome and leaving you in an uncertain place, I want to warn you, We'd better get this message today. I don't mean my message. I mean God's message. We'd better get this today. Because I'm telling you, mark my words, this is going to get worse. We're facing very dark days in this country. Very dark days. So what's your plan for following God in these days of uncertainty? I pray that you, like Joshua... We'll continue to have faith in the promise of God. That you will find assurance in the presence of God. That you will draw strength from the power of God. And that you will seek direction in the word of God. There's nothing greater I could tell you today. Let's pray. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him.